0: Thank you, Marina, for reading God's Word for us. Uh, if you are thinking, what was that all about? <laughs> Welcome to Chelton. Glad you are here with us. Uh, today, we are beginning our new sermon series in the book of Micah with the theme of walking humbly with hope. The overarching summary or the plot line of the book of Micah is relatively simple. As you have heard and read, for the sins of Israel, God's impending judgment is to come. But at the same time, our gracious God extends his mercy and hope to us. And yet, Micah does not shy away from giving us this somber warning about coming judgment and he wants us to be aware of this destructive nature of our sin its consequence our god hates sin he abhors injustices he abhors all kinds of oppression and as a result Impending judgment is inevitable. However, the story does not end there. Even in the middle of this somber warning, God, through Micah, does not fail to give us this glorious hope for those who repent in the name of Jesus. He does not fail to give us this hope of restoration so today, Book of Micah will challenge all of us for the next 10 weeks. What does the Lord require of you, Chelton? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. That's what we will talk about as missions committee has put together this refugee project, as Pastor Shep just announced. That's what we are doing. Those people who have been oppressed under injustice, we act justly, we act justice, and we extend mercy as you walk humbly with our God. So I pray that as we dive in today, that we will not treat this book as if, oh yeah, this is what happened in the past. Actually, in fact, that's one of the very precise danger of walking through one of this historical book. We just either look at it uh, through the lens of either historians or just as a detective. What I mean by historian, we just look at it as a historian lens. Okay, this is what happened to northern kingdom of Israel. Oh yeah, and that's what happened to southern kingdom of Judah in this split kingdom. And then we say, oh yeah, we just hoard all the facts as if facts is what saves us. Or on the other side, some of us just have the lens of detective only, let me analyze every single detail. That's all it's about. And yet, while those are great, we forget to take one step further. What if this book is not only for northern kingdom of Israel or southern kingdom of Judah, but what if this book is for you? What if this book is for me, this prophecy that Micah writes? What if God does not only hate the sins of Israel, but he hates your sin and my sin? And the cost of our sin is this judgment, damnation. For our God hates wickedness and evil the more the message of Micah becomes reality to you, it will humble you. For we know that we are facing the great wrath of God, and that's the price that must be paid for the sins. And yet we know for those who believe in Jesus Christ, there is hope. There is hope for those who repent in Jesus I pray that hope that God extends to us at the same time will truly humble us and cause us to repent. So, Shelton, this book is about you and about me. Let me really illustrate that by borrowing another account in the Old Testament. You don't really have to go there, but when you look at 1 Samuel 12, uh, their prophet Nathan comes to have a talk with King David. And here, prophet Nathan gives you a little parable that I don't really even need to explain. Let me just read a few verses that will explain itself. This is what Nathan said to David. There were two men in a certain city. One was rich and the other was poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cows, but the poor man had only one little female lamb that he had bought. He raised her, and she grew up in his home with his children. She would eat his food and drink from his cup. She rested in his arms and was like a daughter. Can you tell this rich man had incredible reach of cattle and all, but this poor man had only one female lamb that he loved. He says, like his daughter, this lamb would eat from his plate drink from his cup and this lamb would sleep in his arm it's like pet it's like family member to this dear poor man and he loved her like a daughter and then what happens this rich man decides to throw a party um, by inviting guests but rather than taking one from his domestic cattle he decides to take this poor man's female lamb This is one of the stories in the Bible. I'm not a crier. I don't cry that often. But every time I read this passage, I I get so angry and I'm like, I'm moved. Because I'm like, it's like family member this poor man loved. Some of you have a beloved dog or something. Imagine that you're like, this is not right. And imagine King David. He has been a shepherd before he was king. He fought the wild animals in order to rescue his sheep and to say, this rich man takes mercilessly like his daughter, this female lamb, and just kill for his pleasure. Oh, David is mad, and I get angry. David says, I solemnly swear as the Lord lived, he said to Nathan, the man who did this certainly deserves to die. And then all of a sudden what? David is fully injected in this parable. Prophet Nathan turns around the corner and says, You are the man. You are the one who took the wife of Uriah, and in order to cover your sin, you killed the man. Oh, can you imagine what David felt? Oh, I'm the rich man. This is about me. This is not just a parable. It smote David's heart to the core, thus resulting beautiful confession of sin in Psalm 51. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart before you, you will not despise. Shelton, just like David realized that this is about him, the book of Micah is not just about Northern Kingdom, nor Southern Kingdom. Yes, it is about them, but this is about you that God wants us to repent and humble ourselves in the eyes of the Lord. So I pray that as you plow through, as you walk through the book, the Lord will speak to all of us in this such an arrogant time that we live in. I am so self-right. But I pray that the Lord will cause us to repent. That being said, let's dive together what this book of Micah is all about. In Micah 1.1, 1, 1. this first verse explains its background very well. The word of the Lord that came to Micah, to Moresheth, during the reign of Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, the vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. This opening verse of the book of Micah actually explains everything you need to know about its background. First, it says, the word of the Lord came to Micah. Um, Especially in this Hebrew culture, name means quite significant, even more than nowadays what our name means. Um, And the name, the meaning of Micah is who is like Yahweh, who is like our God, is his name. The very question the name of Micah asked will be answered at the very end of the book. We will get there eventually. And Micah was a full-time prophet. He was a professional prophet, unlike perhaps like Prophet Amos, who had other vocation. He was a shepherd, and he watched a sycamore tree. Unlike that, Micah, this was his full-time job. And at the same time, Micah was actually nobody, in one sense. Unlike his contemporary prophet Isaiah, whose historians know Isaiah as he came from aristocrat, perhaps, perhaps from the line of royalty. Micah was just, in a sense, nobody. It says what? The word of the Lord came to Micah of Morasheth. Nobody knew what Morasheth was all about, what this town was all about. In fact, you will see that in chapter 114, this town was so insignificant that it was more known as Moresheth Gath. It was more associated by this nearby town. Just like when you try to explain that you're from Dresher to the people outside of Pennsylvania, they're like, what? Dress? What is Dresher? You just say, oh, I'm from Philly area. Oh, they like, oh, I got you. Just like that. My came from land of nowhere. I mean, if you remember our account of our Lord Jesus Christ in John 1, when Philip tries to introduce Jesus to Nathaniel, when Nathaniel finds out that Jesus is from this small town Nazareth, Nathaniel says, what? Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Just like the Moresheth? Can anything good come from there? He's prophesying even to the people in Jerusalem, and nobody cares. His origin is very humble. But you will see that he has a big, compassionate heart throughout the book. And what is the time frame in that book? It says in verse 1, During the reign of Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, king of Judah, and this is written during kind of time of latter half of 8th century B.C., approximately around like 740 to 690 B.C. During the time of this Ahaz, Hezekiah, at the time, and this is the time that was Israel was so affluent. Things were going great. Economy was awesome. Stock market was flourishing back then. Things were just great. All was well. But at the same time, even the southern kingdom might have been a little better, it was just like the book of Judges. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They were terrible. Everyone just abandoned God. So as a result, Micah is giving this somber warning and his prophecy will come to fruition really during the time of King Hezekiah, as it is written in 2 Kings 18 through 20 in that, in that chapters. During the Hezekiah's time, the king of Assyria, Shalmaneser, will attack the northern kingdom and overthrow it. And just eight years later, the Shalmaneser's successor, Shanaquip, the king of Assyria, will attack Southern Kingdom as well, and Southern Kingdom will come the devastated by the attacks of Assyria as well. So, do you see the what Micah is background is all about? Having said all that, what it's taking place, let's dive in what's going on in verse two. See verse two through four. You don't really need much outline today. Chapter one is very one simple message to all of us that you will hear will become more and more clear as you go about. He says this, verse 2, Hear, you peoples, all of us, all of you, listen, earth and all who live in it, that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and tread on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him and the valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. All this is because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of the people of Israel. Notice the movement from verse 2 to 4. Micah begins with a picture of God in his holy temple in verse 2, and he speaks against his people. And also we see God coming down, coming from his dwelling place, verse 3. And he comes down, tray the high places on earth, verse 4. And everything melts like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. Now, if I can use contemporary language, this is truly epic. This is more dramatic than blockbuster movies you can see. Can you imagine God coming down, descending? I hope he terrifies you, and I am terrified by that. Even more than we fear in the Syrian kingdom, therefore is mighty God who warns against them. Because of their sin and wickedness, they have to face the judgment of our God. Why was God so angry witnessing against his own people? Verse 7, what does it say? All her idols will be broken to pieces. Uh, These are a group of people in Israel, northern and southern kingdom. They've asked our God to basically coexist with their idols. God is not content with that. God does not tolerate coexistence with their idols. See, when we read the judgment in the Bible, we often think that it is not about us. We just think it's about the world. But oftentimes in the Bible, judgment of God is geared toward people who seems to profess to be believers, but has no fruit whatsoever, who only acts like it. Just like Jesus was so harsh against the Pharisees, they were so self-right in their own eyes. And God's judgment is coming against them. Likewise, just because perhaps we are born in the family uh, of believers, just because we do all the right deeds, that does not mean we can escape the judgment of God. In fact, this very judgment is geared toward northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah who were worshiping God. But at the same time, God was marginalized with their own idols. What do I mean by that? What does God mean by broke their idols really broken into pieces? What were they really worshiping that God was so upset about this wickedness that sent prophet Micah to judge? Now, as I mentioned earlier, in the book of Bible, name means far more significant than you and I realize and now when you look at verse 10 through 15, there are a bunch of names that are really hard to pronounce. Thank you, Morena, for reading the, all the hard names of the town. And these town names, actually Prophet Micah is playing puns. This town name has a very significant meaning to it and how God uses that. Hey, you think you have hope in that? You think that idols will save you? No, it will come to ruin. Just walk with me. I'll walk you through just a few of them. First, verse 10 says, Beth-Ophrah, it means house of dust. And they will roll in the dust as the Syrian kingdom come and reign. Verse 11, Shafir. It says, what does verse 11 say? Pass by naked and in shame, you who live in Shafir. What does that Shafir mean? It means pleasure and beauty. Beautiful. It's a beauty town. You think you have identities found in your beauty, pleasure. You will be naked and ashamed in that. You think there is hope in that? You will be naked and ashamed that as the kingdom of Assyria will come and ruin you. There is no hope in your idols. Look, verse 14. Moresheth, this is where Moresheth geth. This is where prophet Micah came from. And this is Hebrew actually related to the word betrothed, Engagement. You think all your hope is found in your spouse. That's all you what if your marriage falters? What are you gonna do? God says, I'm gonna give you to the worst husband you can ever imagine. The Assyrian kingdom, the brutal ruler who will wipe away. you think that will save you, just watch. Nope. Verse 15, town named Marisha. It's a similar pronunciation of the Hebrew word Uresh, which means possess, conqueror. They pride themselves in power, influence, popularity, perhaps. You think your hope is found in power? You are the conqueror? What does verse 15 say? I'll bring you conqueror against you. You are the conqueror. You will be conquered. You think your hope is found how powerful, how influential, how popular you are? That is not mighty enough to save you, it will come to ruin. God speaks against that just like all the town has all the meaning behind it so what about you and I today Chilton whatever you put your functional hope in the end if that's the ultimate hope in your life it will come to ruin when you ask your God to coexist with their idols our God is not content with coexistence our God demands monopoly over you Perhaps, what is that? Um, I wish there was a town named money. You think your hope is found in your security account? You'll die a million deaths when the stock market crash. You think, I wish, you said your hope is found in beauty? Oh, you'll die with one wrinkle at a time. <laughs> Perhaps age is a little too sensitive to you. Perhaps some of you, you think, oh, perhaps my hope is, oh, I'm getting promoted all the time. I'm getting recognized in the work. I am powerful. You will always feel weak. My hope is found in how smart I am. I must be smarter than everyone else. Oh, you will always be afraid to be found out. There's no hope. That cannot save you. God is not content what is your consuming desire, Chelton? What marinates your mind day and night? That really shows what you're asking your God to co-dwell. If you're waking up and sleeping thought at night is all about your rightness, I'm right. He's wrong. You are living in the, right, in the world of self-rightness. You have to be right at all costs. God is right. There are so many times we are not. God is not content and coexisting with whatever your consuming desire is what is that for you tim keller says this actually his commentaries in the book of judges but it fits so well in this context as well the greatest danger because it is such a subtle temptation which enables us to continue as church members and feel that nothing is wrong is not that we become atheists But that we ask God to coexist with idols in our hearts. What are those consuming desires, Shelton, today? Beauty, power, money. No, our God is not happy. God gives the somber warning that's not working. This, as the prophet Micah walks through this entire town, these are the paths of a Syrian kingdom that will bring destruction to all this town. In the end, you think power will save you, money will save you, comfort will give you all you want. It will come to ruin. None of those are powerful enough to satisfy you. Go for money. You will always feel poor. You will always want more. It will never satisfy you. What is there for you today, Shelton? So what does Micah call us to do? I really want you to think about that, what your consuming desire is, what you daydream about day and night, that sometimes gives you great anxiousness because you're so consumed over that. Whatever that is sometimes, that consuming anxious desire within you, you might have to check your pulse before the Lord. How do you do that, you might ask? Micah tells us exactly what we should do. Verse 16, I'll give you two applications and one reminder. And this one reminder will enable you to apply these two application. So application number one, what does chapter, verse 16 say, Micah? This is the highlight of the entire chapter. This is the, what Micah is building up, entire judgment of God for. 16, shave your head in mourning for children in whom you delight. Make yourself as bald as vulture, for they will go from you into exile shave your head in mourning what is micah implying repent first and foremost in our text today micah is calling us to repentance our god demands monopoly over you he's the king of the kings the lord of all lords he's mighty and powerful yet we have often hired him as our assistants no, God is not content with that. You would not ask King of Kings to be your assistant. He deserves our worship. Yet we have simply asked God, God, you are here. Don't touch my money. Don't touch my power. Don't touch my influence. Don't touch my popularity. Don't touch my heart desire. Let my will come true. Micah is calling us to repent. So at the end of the sermon today, actually, we will do that both individually and corporately together as a body of Christ, Shelton. Fill the blank in your mind. I am somebody because... What is it? First and foremost, it should be I am somebody because I'm a child of God. Because I am redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We say it intellectually, but functionally, how we spend our time, if I am somebody because I just got promotion. I am somebody because more than anything, I am mother of dot, dot, dot. I am somebody because I'm recognized. I am somebody because dot, dot, dot. I got pretty good retirement account in my bank. I just fill the blank, whatever that is. I am somebody because I'm productive. That's off my case. I need to repent before the Lord. What is it for you to think before the Lord and ask God to forgive you? That's what Micah is calling us to do. Application number two, second. Let us also weep, not just to judge for others' sin. Look, verse 8 and 9. What does, this is Micah speaking. What does Micah do? Because of this, I'll weep and wail, verse 9. For Samaria's plague is incurable. It has spread to Judah. It has reached the very gate to my people even to Jerusalem itself. What is Micah doing? He's grieving for others' sin, weeping for how contagious sin is. The sins of northern kingdom Samaria has reached the capital of southern kingdom Jerusalem. The contagious sin has reached all over the place and Micah's weeping against the sins of these people. And I am looking at it and I'm not moved. Why am I not moved? I thought about myself. Often when there's p- other people sin, I don't weep for their sin. I'm, I get mad for their sin, especially when their sin affects me. How dare you to treat me like that? How, what do they, don't they know better? Oh, God, destroy them, kill them. I don't weep for them. Why am I like that? Because I'm so right in my own eyes. I'm right, they are wrong. You are wrong, church. I'm right. That's half my attitude. But look at prophet Micah, he's weeping for others' sin. In fact, there's actually the mal prophet in the Bible as well who was so right in his own eyes. His name was prophet Jonah. He was so right in his own eyes. God hurled him down deep into the sea, finally repents, quasi. But still he comes to the Nineveh, God killed them. don't change your mind. They are wrong, I'm right. As much as that book is about Nineveh, it's about Jonah, who was just so right in his own eyes. Me too. I'm so right that I don't weep for your sin. I don't weep for others. And I say, judgment, God, vindication, compassion, forget that. Judgment, that's what I want. That's often our self-rightness. Shelton, we are so eager to confront others behind their back. Oh yeah, he did that. She did that, da da. But have you wept for them? God, will you be compassionate toward them today? Have you really cared for them? Don't just confront unless you're ready to cry with them. When you just confront for the sake of confrontation, your self-righteousness just shows all over the map. You are no better. I am no better when I'm doing that. The reason why we can have hope today, Chelton, is because God dealt with us very kindly. What if God dealt with me? just like how I want God to deal with others when they sin upon me. (laughs) Then if God dealt me like that, I would have been damned and without hope. But our gracious and compassionate God extended forgiveness, compassion, pity upon me, and he calls us to do the same. Don't just judge others' sin, but let us weep together, for sin has affected all of us. This is the very characteristics of Prophet Micah that shows the heart of God. Now, how are we going to be able to extend this kind of forgiveness and compassion to others? How are we going to be able to repent? This very answer is actually found in the very end, entire end of the book, last three verses. Here in the last three verses of the entire book of Micah, Micah answers the very question of his name. What does name Micah mean? Who is like our God? Here, Micah answers the very question in the last three verses, 7, 18 through 20. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged an oath to our ancestors in days long ago. We can repent. We can weep and compassionate toward others because we have a gracious and compassionate God who does not remain angry forever but extends his compassion to us. And what does it say in verse 20, 19? You will tread our sin underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depth of the sea. Do you know how God did that? How God hurled all our iniquities into the depth of the sea? When our God threw self-right, self-righteous prophet Jonah into the depth of the sea, when God hurled Jonah into the depth of the sea, our God was so gracious and compassionate to even rescue this self-righteous prophet that delivers him out of the sea. But when our God sends his own son, hurl him into the, into the depths of the sea for our iniquities, God does not rescue him. In fact, our God descended into hell. At the cross of Jesus Christ, he hurled all our iniquities into the depths of hell. Jesus descended so that we can be forgiven. Shelton, our just and righteous God, his wrath must have to be satisfied. And he hurled himself to the depths of the sea for our iniquities so that he, can, he does not remain angry forever but extended justice and forgiveness to all those who are seeking Jesus. Shelton, how have you asked God to coexist in your mind with whatever your consuming desire it is? What are those? As we end our time today, really to the degree that you realize how much our gracious and compassionate God loved you to go to the cross while he was innocent, when you realize all your iniquities were laid upon him, it will cause you to humble yourselves. Before you are no right, I am not right. I am so wrong. I have so much love that I don't even see. But our God took all our sins upon himself. When you realize that love of a Christ, we can extend, we can truly repent before him. We can humble ourselves. Arrogant people can repent because we are so right. But let us humble ourselves and repent in the sight of the Lord by remembering what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has done on the cross so today as we end our time in sermon chelton i want to ask you how really have you asked god to coexist what is your consuming desire will you repent i want to give you time i want to give you a silent prayer for a minute ask the lord god forgive me i repent humble myself and after that we will confess together as a body of christ in one voice and we'll recite it together but at this time let's go to the lord in silent prayer asking repent god to forgive us for our sins when we are so right in our own eyes now let's pray in silence Now, Chilton, let's stand together. The words will be up in the screen. Let us humbly confess our sins to Almighty God in one voice together. As the word shows, let's confess together in one voice. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the device and desires of our own heart. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done. And we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those, confess their sins. Restore all those who are penitent according to your promises. Declare to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant most merciful Father for his sake that we may now live a godly, righteous life and so over life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.